11th chapter. We'll begin reading at verse 39. John, the 11th chapter. Verse 39. Amen. As I said this morning, I will say again this evening, I give honor to your pastor and his wife and their family. God bless these wonderful people. I'm so appreciative that our paths crossed several years ago and relationship with them and this church and we so enjoy coming uh, to be with you and uh, certainly enjoy spending time with them and uh, at, at, at the risk of sounding old fashioned and old timing I was just raised to believe that you can't be saved without a preacher in your life and, and furthermore you need more than just a preacher you need a man of God you need a pastor Amen. That will rightfully divide the word of truth and look out for your soul. Amen. You ought to thank God today for a pastor, a man of God. Amen. That, that is kingdom minded. And you are certainly blessed with a great pastor and uh, pastor's wife here tonight. Uh, I want to say so good to see them, Sister Buford, uh, friends of my mom and dad's. And uh, we love and appreciate them. I'm so glad to see them of the Lord. Anybody going to help me preach for just a few minutes tonight? I know I know this this morning I did I preach without any notes and, and that's when that's when I get long winded. Um, and so I'm going to do a little bit better. I got a little bit more notes tonight. And um, let's just see what the Lord will do. Somebody said amen. Now I do I will tell you this. I, I preach better and I preach shorter the more amens I get. <laughs> so it's really up to you. I mean, I'll just throw that ball in your court. It's really up to you. Amen. Book of John, the 11th chapter, verse 39. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. Amen. I want to preach to us tonight on this thought, if Lazarus gets loose. If Lazarus gets loose, would you lift your hands to heaven all over this building? I wonder, could the people of God lift your voices in prayer and expectancy? Would you lift desire up before the Lord right now and ask that his anointing would prevail in this place? Lord God, we thank you. Oh, we thank you, oh God, for your wonderful presence that is here. Thank you for the anointing that is in this sanctuary. I pray, O oh Lord, that your spirit would move with liberty and freedom tonight. 
Let your word minister to our hearts. Let it place, let it find a place where it might lodge within us and change us. I pray, oh God, that tonight somebody would walk out of this place having, uh, having received something from you that would leave them never the same. Let there be a move of your spirit tonight. Let there be a demonstration of your power, oh God. We desire more of you and we hunger for you in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you believe God's going to answer your prayer, I wonder, could you clap your hands unto him? Would somebody give him a shout of praise? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Now, I understand what, what some of you are probably thinking. Um, you're thinking that this, this, this evangelist from Oklahoma needs to get out of the Sunday school literature and needs to go to Bible college because he preached about David and Goliath this morning <laughs> and he's preaching about Lazarus tonight. I mean, he's, this, this guy is, is low on the totem pole and he's, he's barely got out of the Sunday school uh, storybook, but uh, this this story that is recorded in John chapter uh, eleven, it is one of the most acclaimed and unique miracles of Jesus's uh, earthly ministry. In my estimation, it is unique not only because of its close prophetic association with the resurrection of Christ Himself, but this miracle is centered around some of Jesus's closest friends. By looking at uh, the earthly ministry of Jesus, we understand that he healed many people. He blessed many lives. He did not limit his uh, influence or his power to one social class or one demographic of people, but he was a friend to all men. Amen. He loved everybody. He worked in everybody's lives. He, he, was, he was not an exclusive kind of God, but he was very inclusive to as many as would come, then he would make himself rightfully available. And uh, so we, we understand that, that Jesus was no respecter of persons, but it, it would seem that this miracle is, is a little bit different because this time, uh, this time it's Lazarus. And Lazarus was not just some acquaintance that, that Jesus occasionally saw in the marketplace. Lazarus was not some stranger. Lazarus was not just a, a distant friend that time had removed from his life. By all indication, we understand that Lazarus and his two sisters were uh, a, a, a family that valued their close friendship with Jesus. And as we begin reading in John the 11th chapter, we find that out of belief in who Jesus is and out of faith in what Jesus can do, Mary and Martha one day send a message unto Jesus and the messenger finds the master on the other side of the Jordan River, some 30 miles away from Bethany. And through this message, the messenger acquaints Jesus with his friend's affliction. The message uh, delivered to the master it, it wasn't long it was not adamant it was not pressing in fact the message was very short barely conveying the need yet still communicating a tender insinuation of a powerful plea the messenger tells Jesus Lord behold he whom thou lovest is sick 
I believe that this message served as both an act of kindness and an act of faith. It was kindness in the sense that they knew Jesus would care to know about his friend's affliction. But it was also faith in the sense that they knew and believed that Jesus had the power to heal him and to make him whole. As Jesus heard the message from his friends uh, some uh, some would say that before the messenger left in the presence of the messenger Jesus verbally responded out loud uh, and said this sickness is not unto death uh, but for the glory of God some would even say that the messenger heard those words of Jesus, jumped back on his horse or his mule and, and rode back to Bethany and found Mary and Martha and said, hey girls, I found Jesus. I, I delivered unto him the message that you sent and Jesus said that this sickness is not unto death but it is for the glory of God. Though many, many of Mary and Martha, perhaps uh, even the disciples themselves would misunderstand uh, what Jesus was saying. Jesus was not at all denying that Lazarus was dying. Uh, he was indicating that even if Lazarus did die, uh, in the end, uh, there would still be a demonstration uh, of God's glory. Uh, Jesus was trying to help them uh, and even you and I tonight to understand uh, that though the sickness be fatal, uh, it is not fatal final. Though Lazarus' circumstance was critical, it was not uncorrectable. And though it be unfortunate for him, it was not ultimate. Can I pause and preach? And it may sound like I'm still piggybacking on this morning, but amen, let me preach tonight for just a few moments that the diagnosis that the doctor has given you, it may not seem like there's much hope in it, but the diagnosis does not get the last word. Your depression may be telling you that it's over and done, but depression doesn't get the final say. Addiction may say that it's over. Fear may say that you're finished, but fear doesn't get the final say. Hell may whisper in your ear and tell you that you are over and done. You can never have a ministry. You can never operate in your God-giving calling and gifting. Amen. But I would serve notice that hell is not in charge. The devil has no power here. He has no ultimate authority here. And it is not his word whereby we live and we are led. So I would preach on a Sunday night in the very face of affliction. You ought to stand up and look your circumstance square in the eye and say it is not over until God says that it's over. If God said this is going to end in a demonstration of glory, then I'm not going to be distracted when death seems to come near. I'm not going to be distracted by the evident. I'm going to hold fast and hold true to the word of God. And if God said he'd be glorified, then I'm going to hold on until the glory comes. Somebody clap your hands and shout yes. strange as it seems when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick he stays where he was for two more days and after two days had passed Jesus then says to his disciples let us go into Judea again our friend Lazarus sleepeth but I go that I may awake him out of sleep as his disciples hear 
these words roll off of the lips of God incarnate, they, I, this is just how I picture the occurrence happening, but their eyes begin to meet one with another and they begin to non-verbally communicate you thinking what I'm thinking yeah I think we're all thinking what we're all thinking here and someone finally becomes bold enough to speak what everybody else is saying and one one disciple certainly pipes up and says master if he is sleeping he'll get a good rest and he'll wake up feeling just fine I would imagine that for a short moment that disciple steps back and perhaps for, 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 just, for just a quick moment his head begins to swell, his chest begins to puff out and this disciple surely becomes confident that he had just saved God some trouble. Surely this disciple begins feeling real good about himself. You know what boys, I, I had the courage to, to speak up and I just helped God out. Man, I, I, I am the most valuable disciple uh, among all of us. What would he do uh, without me? Uh, he would have exhausted himself without me. Uh, he would have wasted all of our time without me. Uh, do, do you see how valuable I am to this operation? And the Bible says that Jesus began to speak to them plainly. Jesus says, boys, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, this is what we're doing. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, whether you understand my way or not, Jesus said, let us go unto Lazarus. So Jesus and his disciples make their way to Bethany and as their journey leads them into the city limits, they discover that Lazarus had been buried for four days. As Jesus neared their neighborhood, news somehow began to spread through the crowd of mourners. And it reached Martha. And as Martha heard that Jesus was close by, Martha dropped what she was doing. She stopped her conversation mid-sentence. She dried up her tears. And Martha ran out into the street where Jesus was. And her greeting to the master was not, hello, thank you for coming. Her greeting to Jesus was not, oh, God, I'm so glad you're here. Her greeting was this, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Then she goes on and says, but I know that even now, whatever you ask God, he will give you. Notice with me let, me, let me just dissect this for just a moment and I'll move on. But her first statement there in those two verses, her first statement goes to show her frustration as to why Jesus was so late to show up. But her second statement goes on to show her faith that Jesus could still do something about that situation even now. Can I pause on a Sunday night and preach to you wonderful people that frustration, it is an unavoidable element of life. And we all have frustrations. And just like Martha, we are typically well, very well versed in letting the Lord know all about our frustrations. We let the Lord know all about our problems. We, 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 we bring all of our things before him as if he is somehow unacquainted with all of our feelings and dependent upon us filling him in as to how we feel. 
pardon me if it sounds negative, but we are just real good at crying and complaining and continuously ranting to the Lord about everything that seems to be going wrong in our lives. Yeah, I didn't think I'd get a whole lot of amens right there. Hallelujah. We're real good about about venting all of our frustrations out to God. Amen. In those moments of prayer, sometimes I just find myself doing a whole lot of complaining. And I've just come to the place where God forbid that I ever gain the reputation in heaven that frustration is the only thing that I ever have to offer unto the Lord. Just preach a little transparent, amen, for a few moments. God forbid that the angels ever look over the balcony of heaven and say, hey, look out, the complainer just knelt down to pray. Amen. God forbid that it ever be said in heaven of my worship. Well, he loves God, but he can't seem to trust God with what doesn't make sense. And he hasn't learned yet how to handle the frustrations of life. And he hasn't yet learned how to deal with what he does not understand. Can I preach tonight? I've made up my mind. I don't want to be known for my pity parties. I don't want to be known for my frustration festivals. I want to be known for one thing, and that is is my faith in a God that is more than able to do anything. In fact, Jesus said, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith in the earth. I would remind you that God's not ultimately looking for your frustration. God is looking for our faith. God is looking for faith that transcends all of your frustrations. No, I'm not, I'm not preaching against frustration. That's just going to happen every now and then. Frustration is just a part of life. If you're going to live, you're going to have moments of frustration. Amen. But what I do preach to you tonight is that our frustration ought to always be followed up with a declaration of faith. Martha said, God, I'm frustrated that you're late. I'm frustrated that you've taken so long. I'm frustrated that you didn't come four or five days ago. But I know that even now you are here and you are still in control. So I may fuss and I may complain every now and then, but I've made up in my mind, in my house, in my heart, I'm going to always let faith get the last word. I may have disappointments. I have may not understand God's way and I may be frustrated, but with every statement of frustration, I'm going to follow it up with a declaration of faith that even now, God is able. Jesus, Jesus identifies this, uh, her, her glimmer of, of faith. And so Jesus, Jesus decides, I'm going to see how deep her faith really goes. And so Jesus begins to poke and prod around on her faith. Jesus says, Martha, thy brother shall rise again. And this same woman who seemed to have faith just moments earlier understand, I'm, uh, I'm just an evangelist. I'm not a children's evangelist. I, I, I'm not doing magic tricks up here. <laughs> I'm not switching stories on you. I'm not that cool. I know your pastor is. He can do all that stuff. I'm not that good. I'm not switching stories. I'm staying with the same text. I'm staying in the same story. I'm still, I'm still in John chapter 11. I'm not switching stories. The same woman 
that had just declared faith responds to Jesus with the most generic, padded answer she could come up with. She says, I know in the resurrection at the end of time. I, I know he's going to rise again in that great getting up morning. Fare thee well, fare thee well. One of these days when the trumpet sounds, I know, Jesus, the dead in Christ first will rise. And then we which are alive. I know, Jesus, I've heard that sermon before. I've heard you teach on that. I know one of these days he'll rise. Amen. Not, not today, not right now. And Jesus, Jesus begins to try to open her understanding and expand her faith and help her to understand. Martha, you don't have to wait for the end. You don't have to wait for some distant day. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Can I preach to somebody today? I don't want a faith that comes and goes with the changing of the wind. I don't want a faith that is good for one moment and is gone the next. But ladies and gentlemen, I want a faith in God that is rooted and grounded in his word and whatever the circumstances are, let my faith ever so stand in the power of the almighty God let it never be said of my faith when God begins to expand it that I just push the miraculous off to next Sunday or the next revival or two years from now in Indianapolis God forbid that I ever cheat myself out of the blessing of God's miraculous power I want a faith that says even though I don't understand what you're doing I know that you have all power and in heaven and in earth and there is nothing too hard for the Lord. If you feel that way, somebody clap your hands. Hallelujah. And just, just as a good Pentecostal would do, Jesus kind of sets Martha straight. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And when the preaching got good, when the furthermore, when the preacher got to meddling, Martha ran out, went and found her sister, and said, "Hey, Mary, Jesus is here, and He's calling for you." Somebody say the devil is a lie. He wasn't calling for Mary. He was getting all up in Mary's Martha's business. Now, ain't that just how we are sometimes? The preaching gets good and the preacher starts meddling in your stuff and you say, well, he ain't preaching to me tonight. I hope so-and-so on the other side of the bed, I hope they're listening because that's for them. Oh, they needed to hear that tonight. I'm playing with you. Martha runs and she, she gets back in the house and finds Mary and says, Jesus is here and he's calling for you. And just like her sister, Mary stops what she's doing. She drops 
everything. Cuts off her conversation mid-sentence. She dries up her tears and she runs out into the street where Jesus was. And Mary echoes the same words that her sister had earlier spoken. Martha falls on her, Mary falls on her face before Jesus and said, Master, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. And that is where Mary stopped. That is where Mary stopped. She did not move on to a declaration of faith that, Lord, I'm frustrated, but even now you're in. Mary stopped at sheer frustration. God, if you'd just been here, my brother would not have died. And Mary stopped there and began to weep. She began to travail in agony over their great loss and over the devastating circumstances of her brother's death. I know. Oh, how I see myself in, in Mary. Oh, how I see myself in, in her shoes when I look at my own problems and I look at my own circumstances. And though I once had faith, though I know what the Word of God said, though I, though I am mindful, and though I know what the promises of the Word of the Lord have, have to say and to offer for me, oh, how guilty I am of coming into the presence of God and just 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 coming to him with my frustration and never giving my chance my faith a chance to speak oh oh how guilty I am of forgetting Though I know them, I've heard them preached all of my life. Though we have heard them declared in song and word. Oh, how guilty we all are of forgetting the promise of God. Oh, how I wonder if that message that the messenger perhaps brought back to them from Jesus. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God. Oh, how I wonder if by this point that, that, that recollection of those words was long gone. They thought, well, God missed it this time. Jesus, he, 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 he must have just been a little delirious. The messenger must have got it wrong somehow. The, the preacher must not have prayed long enough before he preached that sermon. And he, he somehow preached it and he gave it to me wrong. Because it seems, man, that, that God has failed me. And here I am with let, left nothing, amen, but with my frustration. Oh, how we, oh, how we get like Mary. It seems like all hope is gone and here we are just crying and agonizing in our frustration and our faith. I know when we hear Lazarus preach so many times we, we, we liken ourselves to Lazarus and God calling us out of the grave but I, I'm, I'm going to switch it around a little bit on us tonight. I, I'm going to liken Lazarus to our faith. And I'm going to liken you and I to Mary and to Martha. Because there's many of us, and I, I'm, 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 I'm preaching to myself tonight right now, amen. But uh, there, there's a many of us that have been in Mary and Martha's shoes where it seems as if God has failed us to the point that it seems as if our very faith has died. I may be preaching to one or two people tonight. Amen. But I, 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 sometimes we get to the place where it seems like we, we can't believe anymore. We can't exercise faith any longer. 
the Bible would later say in the epistles then that God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. This is how I see it. You can disagree if you want to, but but I, I just I just see that God looked but long before you and I ever existed God looked down to the corridor of time and he knew every difficulty that you would face he knew every valley you would walk through he knew every battle you would fight he knew every dark cloud that would hang over your head he knew every lie that hell would whisper in your ear. He knew every sickness that would be uh, diagnosed in your body. He knew, he knew every, every chaotic time, every chaotic season that would break out in your family. He knew every hurt that you would feel. He knew every emotion that would get the best of you. He knew every up. He knew every down. He knew every mountaintop. He knew every pit that you would fall into. He knew every time that you would start stumble and fall taking all of that into account he gave you the very measure of faith that you would need to be victorious that's just how I believe it. God knew everything you would face. God knows the story of your life. And therefore he put within you the measure of faith that you would need to be an overcomer. And as a when you were born. I'm getting off my notes so somebody start praying. When you were born, when you screamed in that hospital for the very first time, it would seem from that moment on that for a baby, faith is a natural born element. That's why the Bible speaks of the faith of a child. Faith just comes natural for a kid. They'll believe anything. They'll do anything anything they'll try anything you take a you, 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 you take a baby they've never talked they've never carried on a conversation but they're willing to try something they've never tried before they're, they're willing to start making sounds and they don't know what they're doing it has no meaning it has no purpose they it, it's not understandable yet they'll they'll start making sounds and then before you know it it's this sound with that sound and this sound with that sound and next thing you know they won't be quiet Try something they've never tried before. Take a child that, that is, is, has never walked. Or take a child that's never crawled. It's faith that causes them to pull that leg up and lift their body weight up with their knee. And it's faith that causes them to pick one hand up, move it a few inches, move their back leg at the same time, and it's faith that causes them to move like they've never moved. It's faith that causes them to, to, to pull up on something and then begin to stand on their feet. They've never done it. They don't see any danger in it. It's just a natural born element within a human being. It's the natural faith that God has given us. I could go on and on with, with stories and examples, but you take that same baby that when it was born faith was natural and as a child faith was just unrestrained and faith was unrestricted un, uh, you take that same child and you, you put some years on that child and you let that child start living life, you let that child go through disappointments and heartache and you, you let that, that, that child deal with the, the stuff of life 
that faith that was so natural at birth. Uh, over years, that child gets 20, 30, 40 years old. Uh, and after all of their living, uh, their faith has suffered blow uh, after blow. Uh, their faith has been attacked. Uh, it's been cut. It's been sliced. It's been diced. Uh, it's been wounded. Uh, it's been attacked. I don't want to put a number on it because it can be so many varying ages. It can be all of us, where whatever age you are, amen. But next, before you know it, they find themselves in a moment of frustration where their faith seems to have no life. Their faith seems to be non-existent. Their faith seems to be dead and here we find Mary and Martha in this condition it seems that God has failed them and their brother has died and their faith has taken on the same condition as their brother Lazarus Mary falling at the feet of Jesus is crying and weeping and all throughout this course of conversation as Mary and Martha are expressing their frustrations to Jesus, all, all, all during this, this conversation, I can't help but notice and see Jesus standing there in the middle of the street. And that's as if Jesus is waiting on someone to make a bold declaration of faith. It's as if Jesus is waiting on somebody to wipe their tears and come up from their face in the carpet and say, Jesus, if you'd have come four days ago, you could have healed him. Now you're going to have to raise him from the dead. Come, let's go to the cemetery. It's as if Jesus is waiting on someone to say, Lord, let me show you the way. Just in case you don't know where the graveyard is, let me take you to where we have laid him. Jesus finally concludes that if there's going to be a miracle here, I'm going to have to initiate it myself. Apparently they've lost sight of my promise. They've lost sight of who I am and what I am able to do because the circumstance seems to have transcended the magnitude of my identity as God in flesh. So Jesus says, all right, where have you laid him? You see, Jesus had not come to Bethany to just offer condolences. He had not come to go through the formalities of mourning. Jesus had come to show forth his glory. Therefore, he says, take me to where Lazarus has laid. Let me pause and preach, and i got to hurry, but let me preach for just a moment. I urge somebody in the Holy Ghost on this Sunday night, rather than complaining about God's apparent denial and God's apparent delay of your situation, you ought to take faith in the fact that he is now here and his presence makes all the difference in the world. With reluctancy, with hesitation, the men, they get to the graveyard. Jesus tells them, I can't preach every nook and cranny of this. Jesus tells them, take ye away the stone. Martha that one that had the glimmer of faith, Martha says, Lord, you, you don't understand. He's been dead four days. And by this time, he stinks. God, we don't want to do that. 
I know it's Sunday night and we're Pentecostals and, and, and we, we, we get our moving groove on, but let, let's not get crazy. Let's not get radical. Let's not do something we're going to regret Monday morning. Let's, let's keep everything decent and in order. Let, let's, let's stay dignified. Let's, let's, let's act like we're civilized. Let's not get crazy. Jesus again has to correct Martha and open her understanding to his power and to his glory being revealed. And so it's with reluctancy, it's with hesitation that men begin pushing that stone away from the, the, the tomb that had sealed Lazarus inside multitude of people that had gathered were looking on in astonishment surely in disbelief even of what was happening and following a brief prayer as Jesus stood out outside the tomb of his friend Jesus prays a brief prayer and then he cries with a loud voice you say well why did Jesus have to cry with a loud voice this was an expression and an assertion of power and authority no, nobody's afraid or intimidated by a whisper. It was commonly known in that day and in that time that, that uh, uh, ancient magicians and jugglers performed their wicked wonders by whispering and muttering. Uh, and I believe Jesus was in no way, form, or fashion uh, going to allow this crowd to liken this coming miracle uh, with some magic show uh, or act of witchcraft. Uh, therefore, Jesus distinguishes his works uh, from the enemy's works. I could preach on that. Jesus distinguishes his demonstration from the demonstration of evil. And Jesus cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And immediately that dead man that had laid in a grave for four days, he heard and responded to the voice of his master. And though being wrapped in grave clothes, Lazarus came forth out of that tomb. Creation could not help but respond to the creator. The product could not help but respond to the voice of the producer. Man couldn't help but follow the command of his master. Master, and therefore Lazarus was resurrected. Someone asked the question, well, how did Jesus have the authority and the power to raise Lazarus back to life? Simple. Lazarus was God's creation. In the beginning, God created man out of the dust of the earth and breathed in him the breath of life. Therefore, it was very easy for Jesus to raise Lazarus back to life because he was just speaking life back into what he had already breathed life into in the first place. It was God that gave Lazarus life at birth. Therefore, only God in the flesh could give Lazarus life again after death. There Lazarus comes leaping out of his tomb. Some would say that the greater miracle here is of Lazarus even getting out of his grave. Wrapped in grave clothes, he comes leaping out. 
and he's alive. There has been a revival in the graveyard. Isn't that, isn't that, we, we, we love revival. Anybody love revival? We love North American Youth Congress. Amen. Where we hear preaching and we see a demonstration of the power of God. We love revival. We love to see the resurrecting power of God poured out in our lives. We get excited about revival and rightfully so. We ought to get excited about what God is doing. It ought to fire us up. It ought to build our faith. Amen. That God is still in this day and hour performing miracles, signs, and wonders. In the case of Lazarus, though there had been a revival, though there had been a resurrection, there was a slight problem. Lazarus was alive, but he was still bound by grave clothes. The master's voice had brought forth a response from him that Lazarus was going to need assistance with removing the evidence of death from upon him. Lazarus was wrapped from head to toe in white linen cloth he was alive but he wasn't free and in spite of this marvelous miracle that God had just performed Lazarus Lazarus wouldn't be able to live much longer if he's left wrapped up in his grave clothes I, I told you this morning I, and I, I, I failed again tonight I should have brought me a big old white sheet could have bailed myself out again. If, I, if I'd have brought a white sheet tonight, I'd have, wrapped, I'd, have, I'd have found somebody to pick on and I'd have wrapped them up in a white sheet. For that's how Lazarus stood outside his tomb, wrapped up in white linen grave clothes. And though he is alive, he is breathing. Lazarus is not going to be able to live very long in this bound up, restricted state surely even scripture states that his face was bound about with a napkin so here Lazarus stands if he is if he is left in this bound up restricted state surely after a few moments it'll become hard to breathe it will become a labor to simply stay alive because I would preach to you tonight that man was never created to live and be bound. God never intended for man to have life yet be restricted, to be held back and to be hindered. So if Lazarus is left here in his grave lows for very long, breathing would become hard. And slowly but surely, Lazarus would begin to suffocate. And Lazarus would slip back into the dark abyss of death that God had just called Therefore, Jesus turns his attention away from Lazarus now. And Jesus addresses the crowd and says unto them, Loose him and let him go. In other words, your faith is not going to release itself. Oh, I feel like preaching and i got to hurry. 
your faith is not going to release itself. Uh, there, there are beautiful moments in the presence of God like we have experienced this morning uh, and this night. Uh, and, and, and I know tonight's a little bit different, but I can promise you God's up to something tonight in these next few moments. Uh, we, we, many of you were at North American Youth Congress, uh, and by all means, our faith uh, was revived. In this service this morning, there were people, amen, that came to this altar and God did miraculous things in their lives. Faith was restored. Faith was resurrected. Faith was revived. But I've come to preach that the reviving of your faith is useless and it is pointless if you do not release and lose what God has revived and resurrected. And Lazarus, Lazarus couldn't lose himself. Lazarus needed Mary and Martha. Lazarus needed somebody to come to his assistance and release him into his new lease on life. So Jesus says, loose him and let him go. I can just see... I don't have Bible for this, so it, it may or may not have been Mary and Martha. Amen. Somebody in the crowd that Jesus addressed ran to Lazarus' aid. Began to yank on grave clothes. They began to pull on that napkin. They began to yank on threads. They began to do whatever it took. Amen. To release Lazarus into the life that God had just given him. And you can chalk it up to being speculation. I just wonder, maybe it was Mary and Martha. Surely Mary and Martha would have wanted to be a part of their brother's miracle. Surely they would have wanted to be a part of him being released into this new dimension of living. Nevertheless, whoever it was comes and they start unwrapping him. They start unwinding him. And I can just imagine as that final strand of grave clothes falls to the ground. I hear Mary and Martha as they shout in their brother's ear. Go Lazarus! Go! Whatever you do, don't stay here. Don't linger here. You've been released. You've been revived. Go ahead Lazarus. Go ahead and walk. Go ahead and talk. Go ahead and step into the dimension of life that God has ordained for you. Amen. I'm going to make the point one more time. God was more than willing to revive our faith. God is willing, amen, to, to, to renew your faith. But it is up to you and I to take what God has revived and say, I'm either going to let this die until the next revival. I'm going to let this die until the next evangelist comes through. I'm going to let it die until Youth Congress 21. Or I'm going to release the faith that's been resurrected and I'm going to let Lazarus get loose in my life. I say at the lighthouse, it's time that we release our faith and start letting our faith do some talking. It's time we let our faith do some walking. It's time we let our faith do some breathing. It's time we let our faith take on a spiritual life and see God do miracles, signs, and wonders. 
God forbid we ever get comfortable with just a reviving and we walk away and neglect the release that God has called us to. I say on Sunday night, may there be not just a revival, but may there be a release of our faith. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody, your faith has been hindered long enough. Your faith has been bound up long enough. Your faith has been hampered long enough. It's time for you to take the grave clothes off. It's time for you to take the restraints off of your faith and start believing for the miraculous to happen. I'm getting ready to close and I'm hurrying, but let me make this let me, let me make this one statement. Surely you've all seen those people. If you've been around church any time at all, you've you've seen people. Amen. God moves in a mighty way. We have we have throwdown church and God revives our faith. And it seems like they've had a breakthrough. Bless God, they've been struggling. Amen. They, they've been having a hard time. Amen. But after this service, surely to God, amen, they got the victory. Surely to God, they got the breakthrough that they were needing. I don't know what you did, but I'm picking on you tonight. Amen. Surely they're going to live different. Surely they're going to get their life together. Amen. Surely surely they're going to release what God has revived in them. But while Sunday night was so good, it seems by Wednesday night, they're back in the mully grubs. By Wednesday night, they're struggling again. By Wednesday night, their faith is lifeless again. By Wednesday night, amen, it's poor old piddly me. And why has God forsaken me? Amen, I'm telling you, amen, there must come a time where we look beyond just a reviving alone. We look beyond just a moment that God gives life to our faith. There must be a moment of responsibility. I know maybe this challenge your theology a little bit tonight. Amen. Because I'm all about revival. I'm all about the working and the power of God and the word of God being confirmed with signs following. But I also believe that there comes a moment when God throws the ball into our court and says, okay, I've done my part. But in order for the miracle to be finished and completed, you're going to have to release what I've revived and allow the miracle to be complete I wonder if there's anybody at Lighthouse amen that would stand up in your spirit tonight and say I know within a shadow of a doubt that God has spoken life into some things and I refuse to let the reviving be a void I refuse to let what's been revived slip back into death so I will commit myself to the release and what God has revived my faith will be released I'm closing baby come to the piano Lazarus I, I wish I wish I I wish an autobiography of Lazarus would have been included in scripture so that I could have I could have preached what Lazarus did when he left that graveyard I wish I could tell you in detail how Lazarus spent the rest of his days, what he did, how long he lived. We don't really know much about Lazarus after that point. 
what we do know this. The very next chapter, John chapter 12, Jesus comes to the Bethany, the house of Simon the leper. Martha's in the kitchen preparing a meal. Mary is, is preparing to emerge from the, the background of the story and bring her alabaster box and anoint the feet of Jesus. And scripture indicates, or, or, or blatantly said, Lazarus is sitting at the table with Jesus. And the Pharisees show up with a level. Scripture says they come and they not only want to kill Jesus, but they want to put Lazarus to death also. Why? Because John 12, I forget the verse, so just trust me and look it up there. He says, because Lazarus, many had believed on Jesus because of Lazarus' saying so. So I don't have an autobiography for you of how Lazarus lived the rest of his days. But I'm led to believe that when Lazarus got loose, he ran out of that graveyard he found everybody he could find and said I once was dead but now I'm alive I laid in the grave for four days but there was a man named Jesus that gave me a reviving there was a man named Jesus that called me out of my dead condition and raised me back into life I know it seems crazy and I know it seems radical but I was not only revived I was released and had I not been released I wouldn't be here today testifying before you Amen. it was because I was revived and I was released that I am here to testify of the power and the glory of God Lazarus, I, I believe Lazarus told everybody uh, that he could find. Uh, he went into the highway uh, and the byway. Uh, he got on Twitter and Instagram uh, and all of that social media. Uh, he got it in the newspaper. Uh, he, he bought a megaphone. Uh, he went to whatever extreme he could go to. Uh, and before it was all said and done, uh, many believed on Jesus because Lazarus got loose. Oh, oh, the revival that then took place in Bethany. Oh, how the church doubled. Oh, how the church tripled. Oh, how the followers of Jesus were then multiplied because of a testimony of a man named Lazarus. I'm telling this church tonight, amen, and I'm not trying to be something I'm not, but I feel the Holy Ghost on me today. I, I don't know. I, I feel a, a strange anointing on me today. Amen. I'm telling somebody in the Holy Ghost, there is coming a revival to the lighthouse. Amen. But it must, it must first, there must first come a moment where the people of God say, thank God for revival. But we're not settling for just revival. If you will release what God has revived, if you will let your faith get loose I believe as it was in Bethany 
morning, so it shall be in O'Fallon. Because Lazarus got loose. When your faith gets loose, there will be a multiplication. There will be a doubling. There will be a tripling. There will be many that come to believe on Jesus. All because Lazarus got loose. Come on, if that's, if that's your hunger, if that's your desire, I wish you'd lift your hands to the Lord all over this building right now. Come on, the revival that you've been praying for, the miracle that you've been believing for, the answered prayer that you've been hoping for, it is a direct result. It is directly tied to whether or not you release what God has revived. Come on, I wonder if there's some young person that would step out from your chair. You would make your way to an altar and say, I'm not going to limit my faith anymore. You can't measure a miracle the preacher preached. 